0: Well, if you'll open your Bibles today to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, that's in the Old Testament, and then to Ephesians 4, that's in the New Testament, if you can find two places in the Bible at one time. I wanna begin by looking at a verse in Ephesians and then we'll work backwards into 2 Chronicles chapter 16. One of the things I love about the Bible is how wonderfully balanced it is. The Bible is not a book of extremes. The Bible is a wonderfully balanced book, and a biblical theology, a biblical worldview, is always balanced. It's when we get off on one extreme or the other extreme, whether it's in our culture or whether it's with our own theology, that we find ourselves in trouble. God's Word is always balanced, and there are a lot of different examples I could give of that, but I think if I'll just show you this one verse, it makes the point. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, and I wish you would underline this phrase. The verse begins by saying this, speaking the truth in love. Now, that's a tremendous balance because truth and love Uh, in our culture and in many people's minds don't always go together. Sometimes, for example, on on a theological issue, you'll have somebody who's anchored in and hunkered down on the truth, and yet there's no love in their heart. On the other extreme, you'll have somebody who's full of love, and yet as you listen to their theology, there's very little truth in it. And so the challenge for us is to have truth And to have love It's a balance That's just one example that I could give Of many in the Bible I'll give you a recent illustration in my own life Of how I rediscovered The importance of truth and love One night last week uh, My parents, my mother called And said would you like to come have dinner On this particular night And I said well let me see what's going on What's happening I said what are you making that night She said I'm making meatloaf I said I'm free as a bird I'll be there My mom makes the best meatloaf. And so I went to their house, and I absolutely love her meatloaf. And you do know that meatloaf is part of a healthy diet, right? I mean, we should all eat meatloaf at least twice a week. Well, I I went through the line the first time, loaded my plate down, and enjoyed that meatloaf. And if I would have just stopped and then left their house and gone back to my house, it would have been a better experience for me. Would you believe I ate four plates of meatloaf the other night? That was on Tuesday night, four plates of meatloaf. I have never had such a stomach ache in all my life. I said to God, I said, God, if you will ease my pain, I will never eat food again as long as I live. See, I love her meatloaf, but the truth is, I didn't need four plates of meatloaf. And so if I could have balanced truth and love on whatever Wednesday night, I think, then I would have been better on Thursday and Friday but my stomach was still full from all the food that I ate that night. Now, turn back to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Two weeks ago, we thought about the life of King Asa. He was a godly man. He was the king of Judah, which was centered there in Jerusalem. And as much as this man loved God, and he did, the Bible has so many good things to say about King Asa. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. His heart was loyal to the Lord. And yet we see that King Asa had a hard time balancing his faith and balancing his theology, just like we do sometimes. And in the last sermon, we talked about the fact that on one particular occasion, another king from another area had come against Judah And so instead of just calling out to God and praying for God's intervention and even asking God what to do, Asa didn't do any of that. Instead, he called the king of Syria, and he said to the king of Syria, hey, we're in trouble here in Jerusalem. We've got another army coming against us. Why don't we form an alliance? And if we can form an alliance, then two, two are better than one, and your army can strengthen ours. And that's what they did. And it actually worked in the short term, and yet after that battle was over, God sent a prophet to Asa, and the prophet said, because you have trusted in and relied on the God of Syria, or the king of Syria, instead of the God of heaven, you're in trouble and for the rest of your reign, you're going to have wars with other nations. So he got in trouble. Instead of relying on God, he relied on the king of Syria. I did a whole sermon on that, and I talked about how sometimes that sermon was about politics, and sometimes I said, politically speaking, we can be one degree off in one way or the other. And Asa was a godly man, and yet he was one degree off And because he was one degree off, it got him in trouble. Now, this morning, we're going to pick up there, and I want us to see that King Asa was off one degree also when it came to medical matters. Look in 2 Chronicles 16 and in verse number 12, because here, as Asa's kind of getting a little bit older in life, he had a physical problem, and notice what he did. It says, "...in the 39th year of his reign..." asa became diseased in his feet he had some kind of foot problem and his malady was severe yet in his disease he did not seek the lord but the physicians some of the translations say he did not seek the lord but he only sought the physicians that's the idea here And so Asa had this foot problem, and instead of praying about it, and instead of saying, God, what do you want me to do? And instead of saying, God, would you please heal what's going on with my feet? He bypassed God, and he went straight to the doctor. And so he made the same mistake twice. Earlier, politically speaking, he put his faith in the king of Syria instead of in God. Now he's putting his faith in the doctors instead of in Jehovah Rapha, our great healer. God himself. And so it says to me that if Asa could make this mistake politically, we can too. Medically speaking, we can too. Sometimes our faith can be one degree off in one way or another when it comes to this whole idea of health, medicine, doctors, and so on, and we can get ourselves in trouble. Now, when it comes to medicine and and all matters related to health, and since we're living in the day of COVID-19, This is a very timely uh, message for us from the Bible today, but it seems to me that there are two different ways a person can have uh, their faith or their mind one degree off uh, when it comes to medicine. First of all, I know some people who have this idea about health. Their theology is God is the healer. God can take care of any disease. God can keep me from getting any disease. And so when it comes to my body, my body is the temple of God. God is my healer. I don't need the doctors. I don't need medicine. I don't need the hospitals. I don't need to listen to all that. I trust God, and God will take care of me. Well, as as I will illustrate, that theology, while it has truth in it, and remember this, wrong theology always has enough truth in it to get your attention because if it was just an outright blatant something that was obviously wrong you're too smart to go along with it and so there'll always be enough truth in it to get your attention but that thinking that says I have God and I don't need doctors and I don't need medicine and I don't need to listen to the medical community it's one degree off when I was in seminary I had a friend who was one of the godliest young men I've ever known. Now, we were both in the age range of 22 to 25 at that time. And yet, he was was a tender-hearted man, young man. He loved the Lord. He was a good student. He worked in the library there at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And just one of the best people I've ever known. But he had diabetes. And for years, he had been on insulin to, to control his diabetes. Well, I can't remember if he went to some kind of a church or religious gathering, a, a revival at some church or, or what it was. It was some setting like that because some preacher got it in his mind that if he would just trust God, that God was greater than diabetes, God could heal diabetes, which he is and he can. See, there's truth in that. But he got it in my friend's mind that if he really trusted God, he didn't need to take his insulin. And so my friend, whose heart was so pure, and whose love for God was so genuine, and who wanted more than anything else to demonstrate to God that he not only loved God, but that he trusted God, my friend got off of his insulin, and it wasn't very many days after that that he died and it was one of the most powerful, one of the most heartbreaking experiences that I've ever had, but it was one of the most powerful lessons that I ever learned in my entire seminary experience. And that is, just because we trust God, that doesn't mean that we should not listen to our doctors or do what they tell us to do. You see, even though his heart was pure, in that instance, his mind, his theology, was one degree off. And it cost him his life. Now, there's another way that you could be one degree off when it comes to matters of medicine and things like this. And that would be to say, you know what? God is my savior. God is who we worship there down at the church. But when it comes to my health, God expects me to be responsible. God expects me to take care of business. And so I don't ever involve God in my health. I just go to the doctors. And whatever the doctors tell me to do, that's what I do. So it's the other extreme. This extreme basically says... God's not the one I communicate with when it comes to health. I communicate only with the doctors, and I'm trusting in them. The problem with that is, if you have bypassed God, now not only have you bypassed the ultimate healer, He is Jehovah Rapha, uh, Exodus 15, 26, for I am the Lord who heals you, but you have also bypassed the leadership of the Holy Spirit by which He can lead you, to the right doctor, who can give you the right treatment, who can help you with whatever you might be going through. Now, when you go to visit a doctor, as a child of God, there you are in the doctor's office. Did you know you have at least three things on your side? You have three things going for you. Number one, you have the wisdom of the doctor that you're talking to. Anytime that I'm in the presence of a doctor, I listen more than I talk because these men and women have devoted their lives. They've been through medical school and that doesn't mean they're always right. Doesn't necessarily mean they're smarter than we are, but it does mean on matters of medicine, they're probably smarter than we are because they've been educated their whole lives. And so when you're in a doctor's office, whether it's for something major or minor, You have the wisdom of that doctor, and not only that, you have the wisdom of the you know, of the medical world at large. Friend, you don't need me to tell you we are blessed in 2021 to live in the day in which we live with surgeries that can be performed, with treatments that can happen. If we had lived back in the 1200s or the 1300s in those middle ages somewhere, or certainly before that, and even hundreds of years after that, many of the things that can be fairly easily treated today would have killed us back then. And so for us not to avail ourselves to the world of medicine and doctors is foolish. There are even instances in the Bible, plenty of instances where people were sick and God had them to take oil and put the oil on them. And Luke was a doctor. And so the Bible is not anti-medicine. God is pro-medicine. But when you're in that doctor's office, first thing you have going for you is the wisdom of the doctor himself or herself and the wisdom of the medical community at large. The second thing that you have going for you, when you are in that doctor's office, you have your brain. God gave you a mind, and you have a a fine mind, a good mind, a, a good brain. You can think. And so that says to me, just because I'm in a doctor's office, and just because this doctor knows more about what we're talking about than I do, I'm listening to that doctor, and mentally I'm engaging that doctor, and I'm using my mind to see if if what he says to me makes sense. So you have your brain. The third thing you have in a doctor's office, you have as a child of God, the Holy Spirit. And one of the things the Holy Spirit will do is give you wisdom as to whether or not this is the best course of action, this is the right doctor for you. And I've had times in my life, and I'm sure you have too, I, I think of one example, I was in a doctor's office one time, a fine doctor, a wonderful doctor, a wonderful doctor in Houston, and we were talking about a situation I was going through. And he was telling me this is what I needed to do. And I knew he was t- what he told me was right. But as he was telling me how he was going to do that, in my spirit, there was a restlessness. And in my spirit, I didn't feel peaceful about exactly how he was saying this should be handled. And so at the end of the meeting, as he was wanting to schedule my operation, I said to him, I need a little time to think about this and I need a little time to pray about this and to meditate on this. I don't know if I used those words, but that's, that's what I communicated to him. I went to another doctor who treats the same problem, and he agreed you have to have surgery. But in his explanation, he said the one thing that I'll do differently than the other doctor was going to do in the operating room is this. And when he said that, my spirit was perfectly peaceful. And I scheduled my surgery that day with that second doctor. And so what was the difference in doctor one and doctor two, experience one experience two? Well, the difference for me was the Holy Spirit. In the first visit, the Holy Spirit was saying, something's not quite right. This is not best for you, John. This could be a more dangerous situation than it needs to be. You need to get a second opinion. And so what I'm saying to you is when it comes to medicine, you have the wisdom of the medical world And as we think about the medical world, even with COVID-19, you know, the whole thing about COVID got so politicized early on that it just turned a lot of people off. I'll say this. When it comes to medicine, I don't listen to politicians. I listen to doctors. Now, that's just how I live my life. But everything the doctors said about COVID-19 has proven true. They said when we get into Christmas, if there are large family get-togethers, then the odds of this spreading are, is bad, and January could really be bad. And they were right. We have a family in our church, one of the godliest, best families in this church, and some of their family got together at Christmas with people they hadn't seen in a while, and they were doing their best to social distance. But when you get a crowd like that in a, in a house, now in the church, it's easier to do that, but in a house like that, it's harder. And somebody unknowingly came into the house with COVID, And between 25 and 30 people who were in the house at that time, they all got COVID. And one of the people died. 69-year-old lady died. So what I'm saying is that's exactly what the medical community said would happen. So in our day, we have the medical community and... uh, And we have have our own brain, and we have the Holy Spirit, and so we should be led by that. And so I encourage you, when it comes to medicine, don't be one degree, don't have the attitude, I have God, and I don't need all that. Well, that's not wisdom. I have one friend who says it that way. That's not wisdom. But don't be on the other extreme to say, I don't need God. This is health and fitness, and the doctors are going to take care of me. It's the truth in love. I would say it this way. Trust God, but go to the doctor trust God, but listen to the wisdom of the medical community. And if you do that, I believe it'll be a more balanced uh, theology and a way to look at it, and you won't be off one degree or the other. So Asa got a little bit off that way. Now, there's another area that I want to emphasize this morning, and it doesn't really apply to Asa, but it does apply to us. And it's far more important than politics if you're off one degree or the other, politically speaking, well, you're just off, okay? You just got messed up, but, that, but that, you, you'll probably survive that. If you're off one degree or the other, medically speaking, and, and sometimes we've all gotten off on that, well, okay, so you're off on that, and you'll probably survive that. Or look at it this way, if you're off one degree or the other, medically speaking, what's the worst that could happen? You would die, right? And if you're saved, you're going to go to heaven, right? So it would be catastrophic on earth, but a thousand years from now, it really wouldn't matter if you were one degree off one way or the other, medically speaking, that's all going to come out in eternity anyway. You're going to just get to heaven a little bit sooner. But this other area is, spiritually speaking, if we are one degree off, this is what is truly, what truly would be catastrophic. If a person is one degree off in their faith, what does that mean? That means that when they die or Jesus comes back, they will not go to heaven because their faith is not right. Now, there are a lot of verses we could look at today, but let me, let's just go to the book of Acts, chapter number 16. And I, I can make this point many, in many different verses, but let's go to Acts 16 and in verse number 30 and 31. You remember the passage. The apostle Paul and Silas are in a Philippian jail. And they've had a miraculous experience while there. And as all this is unfolding, the jailer says to the people, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? (laughs) Now, that's the greatest question he could have asked. Now, notice what they said. Paul and Silas said this to him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. So, he didn't just say, believe... He didn't just say in some general vague way, trust God, because, you know, in, in this day, there were so many gods. What does that even mean? Just as in our day, that's happening as well. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. John 3, 16, most familiar verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes. Now, what are the next two words? Say it louder. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so in order to be saved, it's not just a matter of, quote, having faith. It is a matter of having faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Everybody has faith. The atheist has faith. Larry King died yesterday. CNN talk show host for many years. I used to love to watch him interview people. He was a wonderful interviewer. Because he was a curious person and his curiosity drove him to ask good questions. But as they were reporting on him yesterday, they said Larry King was an atheist, which I think I had forgotten that part, but they said he was an atheist. Now, whether that's true or not could be confirmed or denied, but let's take an atheist. An atheist has faith that there is no God, it takes faith to be an atheist. fact I think it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a a Christian I really do because an atheist looks at the world and an atheist said back there somewhere there was a big bang and we just all through the years have evolved and uh, you know nothing produced everything and now we live in a world of order that was instigated by nothing well that takes more faith to me than to just believe the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? I mean, that's a lot easier to believe. But the point I'm making is an atheist doesn't believe in God, but an atheist is a person of faith. A Muslim is a person of faith. A Hindu, a Buddhist is a person of faith. Everybody is a person of faith, and so is a Christian. What's the difference? A Christian is a person who has placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ having been justified by faith, that is faith in Christ, we have peace with God. And so let me ask you today, is your faith in Jesus or is your faith in something else? I'm, I'm convinced, I'm not just fearful, I'm 100% convinced that there are many people whose faith is one degree off, and it's not in Jesus. Now, I want us to see a little graphic on this back wall. We got a a new video wall last week that we're excited about. And let's just let this be like the uh, dashboard on your car, if we could. And let's look at all these things that your faith could be in for your salvation. For example, some people for their salvation are trusting their own holiness. Look at that. That's where, that's, where that's where the arrow of their faith is. And what they're saying is, I believe one of these days that God is going to let me into heaven because I'm better than most people. And they would say, you know, I'm not perfect, but I try to live by the golden rule. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I try to be good to my family. I'm a provider and so on. And so they're really thinking, one day I'm going to heaven Because I have lived a good and a holy life. The problem with that is the Bible says that our own righteousnesses are like filthy rags to God. I would not trust the best five minutes of my life that I ever lived to get me into heaven. Because even at my best, it's tainted with sinful motives and so on. Some people say, no, I'm not trusting my, I'm not trusting my uh, holiness because I know I'm not perfect. But you know why I think I'm saved? The reason I think I'm going to heaven is I just feel saved. They, they've got their faith now two degrees off. They say, I, I know I'm saved because I'm telling you when I come to church and we sing the music and the Bible, I'm telling you, I just feel like I'm saved. Let me tell you something, friend. Sometimes I, quote, feel like I'm saved when I'm praying, when I'm reading my Bible. I feel the presence of God. I mean, I'm a you know, I'm somewhat mystical in that sense and that I do believe our relationship with God is experiential and we should feel, we should at times have that where we feel God. But you know what? Sometimes I open my Bible, sometimes I read it, sometimes I pray, sometimes I come to church, sometimes I sing these songs, sometimes I listen to sermons, and I don't feel anything at all. I'm glad, though, that my faith is not based on my feelings. My faith is based on Jesus. Feelings change. Feelings change. You, you, you could have your blood sugar up, your blood sugar... Hey, didn't sleep last night, conflict going on at home. And so you don't feel God. Listen, a pilot doesn't fly that plane based on his feelings. A pilot flies that plane based on the instrument panel. And for us, the instrument panel is the Word of God, and it has to be in Jesus. So don't trust your feelings. So you feel God one day, and you don't feel Him another. God may be trying to wean you off of your feelings anyway. So let it... Who cares how you feel? I don't mean that literally. But when it, when it comes to God... What would your preacher say today? He didn't care how any of us feel. Well, you know the spirit that I say that. I'm saying when it comes to your relationship with God, it's a liberating thing to get to a place to say, some days I feel the presence of God, some days I don't. But I'm not living my life based on what I feel. I'm basing my life on what God has said, and God has promised to be with me whether I feel anything or not. Now, some people... They have their faith off one degree another way. Some people are trusting in their baptism. And they have the idea, and I know this is true because I've talked to them. They have the idea, I'm going to heaven because I've been baptized. And when I got baptized, that water up there washed my sins away. My oldest joke that I have, that is Pasadena water. You might be dirtier when you come up than you were when you went down. (laughs) That's my oldest joke I have. I try to tell it as much as I can. (laughs) Baptism is important baptism is not unimportant. See, there's a, it's a balance. Some people would say, well, if baptism has nothing to do with my salvation, I'm not even going to be baptized. Well, now you've gone the other way. Some people would say, well, I've been baptized, so now that means I'm saved. Well, no, you've gone the other way. You don't get baptized in order to be saved. You get baptized because you have been saved. Baptism doesn't wash your sins away. Jesus washes your sins away. And yet it's an act of obedience to stand in that baptistry or to stand in that river or to stand wherever you stood and to be baptized in that water and raised up out of that water as your way of saying, I have died to an old way of living, and I've been raised to walk in a brand new way of life. And so we get baptized, but we don't trust our baptism. Some people, though, and I think this is the most dangerous of all, they have their faith, not in their holiness, not in their feelings, not in their baptism, but they have their faith in their salvation experience. They are trusting their salvation experience. And as I've shared before, this is the single solitary reason that for many years in my own life, I doubted my salvation. Because I looked to my experience For my assurance, in my mind, anytime I heard a sermon where the preacher would say, do you know that you're saved? I would go back to my salvation experience, and I would say, okay, I know that I'm saved because I can remember this experience. But the problem was, I was saved as a child. And so, I could not remember everything about that experience perfectly clear and my lack of memory about the details of that experience when I became a teenager caused me all kinds of doubts. And so what I said was, since I can't remember that experience, I've got to go to the Lord, and I've got to make sure that I'm saved, which that was the right thing to do. And so I did, and then I looked to that experience for the assurance of my salvation. Now, that experience, since I was older, was one that I could remember, but the problem with that experience was that experience wasn't a perfect experience. Because when I looked to that experience to try to find assurance, I thought, now wait a second, in that experience, when I repented, did I really repent? When I called on God in prayer, did I say it right? When I asked Jesus to save me, how did I, what words did I use? Did I get that right? And so I wasn't convinced that I, that, that experience was, quote, right. So I started having uh, more experiences, and I didn't know what I was doing at the time. My heart was in the right place. I was trying to be right with God, but what I was trying to do was to create a perfect experience that I could trust until finally God revealed to me I could have experiences until I'm 100 years old, and I could never have an experience that I could perfectly trust. I could repent, but my repentance would never be perfect. I could believe, but my faith would never be all it ought to be. I could confess, but my confession would never be what it should be, and that what I had to do was to get my faith out of my experience, and to get my faith onto and into the person of Jesus Christ. And my life changed when I moved my faith out of my own salvation experience into and onto the person of Jesus Christ. And once I did that, when I said to the Lord one night, Jesus, I have asked you to save me. I think I was truly saved as a child. I've certainly been back to you as an adult to make sure of that. But, Lord, I want to be clear on this. From this night forward, I'm not trusting my experience. I'm not trusting my repentance, my faith, my confession, my prayer, nothing in me. I am trusting you and you alone to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Here's my testimony. When I said that to God one night, my heart became peaceful like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul, having been justified by faith. What faith? Faith in Jesus Christ. And now I have peace like a river in my soul. The hymn writer said, my faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever living one. His wounds for me doth plead. Now I want you to look at that board before we stop this sermon. Your faith is in something for your salvation. And since you're in a Christian church this morning, it's bound to be in one of those things there. I mean, you're not trusting some other God of some other religion. You're trusting something that has something to do with Christianity. I'm asking you today, are you trusting your holiness? Are you trusting your feelings? Are you trusting your baptism? Are you trusting your own salvation experience? If so, you'll never have assurance. But if you will get your faith on the money... Not one degree off, but I mean straight up own the money and put that faith in Jesus. Not only will you be saved, but you will be sure and you will have a peace in your heart that you've never known in all your life. Amen.